We are in our series in the book of Romans, and the series is not ashamed of good news. Not ashamed of good news. And the good news, of course, being the gospel, um, being the news that Jesus is who he says he was. He is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Um, and as I've said week to week, we are in need of good news. And, but here's the problem with good news. We have to determine what is good, right? There's a big argument even in our society today over, you know, false media and what's true media and false media and, and, and all those things. And the reality is that if people aren't in Christ, then their message is tainted with falsehood. The Bible's clear on that. We'll look at that today, that it doesn't even matter if they're really religious or if they even believe the Bible, if they're not in Jesus then the message that they have may not be right. And we need to be careful that we don't just take a version of what we believe is good and not take it to the scriptures and ask God what he thinks is good and right. Because we live in a world that doesn't want to do that. It's a world that wants to bring fear, guilt, and shame and half-truths so that it can manipulate us to its version of what it believes is good, whatever that is. And our culture is similarly, it's eerily similar to the Roman culture that Paul wrote to. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church, trying to encourage them in a culture, Rome, which was a republic like ours, but a republic that was falling apart, a republic that was in war and turmoil, a, a republic that, that was trying to just keep the peace and trying to appease and please everyone so that they could keep their power and keep their stuff. Sound familiar? That's exactly where Paul finds himself writing this letter. So the things of this book are really important to us today. They're no small thing. I mean, we still look to the Roman Empire today as one of the greatest empires ever. We still look at their Colosseum and their roads and what they did, and we think, wow, but they still fell apart. They don't exist anymore. There's no Roman Empire, there's no Caesar, there's no Roman Republic. It collapsed. And guess what? Regardless of whether you think we should vote for this person or that person or what your politics are, the reality is I absolutely promise you, according to God's word, that there will be no United States of America in heaven. <laughs> there also won't be a Chinese, Republic, a Chinese Communist Party. There won't be a Venezuelan party that... There will be only one government in heaven, and that will be a righteous government, the only righteous government of Jesus, of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so as we dive into the word this morning, the question of our day, is it not, is what is right? Everything we're looking at today in our culture, it's what is right? Well, this person says it's right based on the facts, and then this person says what's right based on the facts, and then this person and this person, it's a constant, what do I believe? And what I'm amazed by, to be quite honest with you, for most people that are Christians or call themselves Christians, is they're asking what is right, and they're not even reading their Bible. Most of them have never read the book of right from front to cover, from, from cover to end, I mean. They, they've never read the whole book. They've read everything from the news channel they like. They've watched thousands, maybe millions of videos on their phone of the people that they enjoy. But they have never taken the time to read the thing that God says is the most right thing ever given to humanity, the Word of God. I'm not even telling you what to believe about the Word of God, just that you even would want to read it, that you believe it's where righteousness is found, it's, it's, it's where we can see what is right and wrong and who is right, that God is the one that, that is right, and he's the one that declares what is right and wrong, and that we have to wrestle with that. Like, it just breaks my heart that, that we don't long for the word. And here's why we don't long for the word. Are you ready? Because we don't want the person behind the word. And that breaks my heart more than anything else. But as Christians, we don't want God. Sure, we want to be right so we can have the world we want, the life we want. I, I want to be right so I can tell people what to do and show them I'm right. But I don't want to be right because I just want to be as close to God as I can get because he's awesome and I just want to be around him. I want to be with him. I want to be near him. And Where's that heart of God's people today? Because that's what Paul's writing to this Roman church. 
He's saying, where's your heart? Not for the things of God, but for God himself, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is Lord. He dives in and he says this. The theme of this book is in Romans 16. Paul says what the theme is, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. That means for everybody. The Jews were given the Old Testament and those that were not a part of the Jewish faith but got grafted in. That's us. For in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You see, Paul is writing this book and he's saying, look, you Romans don't know what's right. You're trying to figure out. You're trying to listen to the Roman government. Caesar says this. Your senators say something different than Caesar says and there's a battle because of it. And then your local authorities, Tiberius or Herod, says another thing. And you're trying to figure out how do I live in this world where everyone's saying what they think is right but they're not getting anything right. And Paul's writing to these people and he says, look, God's rightness, his righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. That means the entire book of the Bible. From the faith of Adam all the way to the final faith of the martyrs who are left on earth who die when Christ comes back. From faith to faith, Paul says, it's been revealed how right God is. God has revealed how right he is for all of human history and we don't want to hear it. Because, get, let, let, I mean, let's be honest. I don't like for my wife to be right. I'll just be honest. My first reaction to my wife being right is not, man, I dodged a bullet there. I'm so thankful for her. She's awesome. That is not my first reaction. My first reaction is normally like, oh, man. Now, I've learned I don't say anything. I've been married long enough that I don't, like, express that. I just, in my heart, I'm like, oh, it's right again. Like, oh. and I'm quiet about it. And then God works on me. He's like, she's, like, saved you on this one. You, you want to, like, thank her? Not really ready for that, no. Maybe in a little bit. I want to sit here and sulk a while. You guys don't have that problem with your boss at work or a friend that seems to be right more than you, or like, it drives you nuts. And when am I ever gonna get this right, God? Like, I I feel like I just constantly am not righteous, I fail. That's why Paul's writing Romans. He's saying that's exactly how you should feel in this world. That's exactly how things are. And that's why the righteous will live by faith in Jesus, not faith in their rightness. And so when I'm not right, I can look at God and say, man, God, thank you that you forgive me for being an idiot and that you've given me people that help me not be an idiot. I am so grateful to you. That's the proper response of righteousness. He goes on and he says, and we've read these before, but I'm going back. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. We talked about that last week. That God has made it evident that he exists. He's made it evident that we're not in control. He's made it evident that we're all idiots, that we don't know what we're doing. Like He's made that evident, that we can't control our world, that our world is out of control. He, He allows things to happen. Then he goes on and he says this. Paul says, therefore, any one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge one another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things do such things is based on truth. In other words, God's judgments are based on the truth. Most of the time, our judgments are not based because we've gone to the scriptures and we have declared this is what's true and so this is what I'm gonna do it. The way we declare what's true is, what do I feel? What feels right? What makes the best outcome and circumstances for me? That must be what's right. That's how you've been raised and taught. The world actually raises us to interpret things that way, right? Like the world is deceiving us. For example, you got you and your buddy Johnny. You're out playing, six years old, and you're out in a field playing together. And there's this beautiful plant with these little black berries on it. They look beautiful. I mean, and they, they don't look too bad. And, then, and you're like, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to taste them, but pretty much Johnny will do whatever I ask him to do. So... I'll ask Johnny to taste them. Hey, Johnny, try these. I, th- I, think, I think they might be good. Okay, Johnny takes one. He tries it. He's like, yeah, it's pretty sweet. So he eats a bunch of them. A little bit later, Johnny dies, falls over. He's dead. Why? Because it was nightshade. 
Deadly nightshade. Grows commonly in fields. Used to, more common than now because of Roundup and uh, herbicides. But nightshade. He eats nightshade and you're like, wow, Johnny, Johnny's dead. Nightshade must not be right. <laughs> See, that's how we learn in this. Like, versus looking at God and asking God and saying, should I eat this? Is this on his list of approved eating things that... Should I ask other people, like my parents and my grandparents, hey, we, Johnny and I found a plant, and we wanted to know if it's, if it's good or not? Like, no, we don't do that. I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it. And, and if I'm not going to try it, then I'm going to find the idiot next to me who will, that I can convince of anything that I'm right, and get him to try it so that I can not be wrong. He'll be wrong. Does that make sense? And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying... Any of you who judges is without excuse. In other words, when you go and say this is what's right, don't, don't expect them not to have that fall on your head. He goes, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? In other words, Paul's saying none of us will escape the righteous judgment of God. Nobody. None of us. No one on the planet earth is going to escape the righteous judgment of God. Does that mean we don't judge? Nope. God calls us to judge. That's what we do. You do it every day. You make a judgment call every day. Thousands of times a day, you make judgment calls on what you think is right and what you think isn't. The question is, what's the basis for that judgment call? That's what Paul's saying. Is the basis for your judgment call your own glory, you're your own God, and for your own benefit? Or is it something deeper? Because he goes on to say, or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraints, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. The only reason God doesn't take us out for our unrighteousness is because he wants us to repent. He's patient with us. That's the only reason the Bible said. That, he, that he's patient. The reason he didn't get rid of Adam and start over is because he had patience. And, and patience to bring his son into the world to show us his glory. And then he says, but because of your hardness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. We looked at that last week, when God's righteous judgment is revealed. So God is going to bring a righteous judgment. It's going to be revealed. We just have to be patient. We've got to look for it. We've got to seek God. What is your righteous judgment? Then he says, he will repay each one according to his works. Now this gets tricky if you're just reading through, because you think, well, that's why I try to do the right thing. Here we go. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality. But wrath and indignation to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth but are obeying unrighteousness. Affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew, also to the Greek. In other words, everybody. You're not protected just because you call yourself a Christian or call yourself a Jew. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. There is no favoritism with God. Now on the surface, this looks like God is saying, if you just do the right thing, you'll be saved. That's not what he's saying. And Paul goes on, and we'll see in just a moment, and makes sure that they get the definition of this right. Because see, this is what people like to do. They like to drop into the Bible, grab a verse like this, and say, now you behave. So you can be saved. They don't get the context right? It's like what people do today. We put out a video or we put out a statement and we like to edit all the stuff around it to just get the statement or the part of the video we like. Either side of the political aisle, we love to do that. We love to just give the facts the way we can present them so that we can get people to think we're right and they'll click like and they'll be on our page. That's what we love to do. We don't want to wait patiently for all the facts to come out. We just want the facts that back up what we already believe is right. And that's where we live today. It's also where Paul wrote to, to the Romans. It's exactly what they were doing. And he goes on, and look at this. He says, he's going to pay all of us according to our works. That should panic you. Have all your works been godly? Like everyone, every work, everything you've ever done, has it been perfectly godly? Then you're going to be judged. That's what this says. Paul says everybody's going to be judged. The question is, Where's your heart? And that's what Paul is saying. Do you even know what's good to seek it? Do you even know what immortality is? Do you even know what real honor is? That's what he's saying. Because most people don't. They just self-seek and they disobey what God says and they don't even care what God says. That's what he's saying. And he clarifies and he goes on and he says this. Well, hold on, I'll get to that. 
Verse 6 should panic us. And verse 11 says there's no favoritism. You know what that means? That means you can't earn God's favor. You can't do enough good works to get God to like you more than the person sitting next to you. God doesn't play favorites. You can't like do more and say, well, I know I'm your favorite because I've done so much more. And if that's your heart, Paul says, if that's your heart, it reveals that you don't know God. It reveals that you don't know the God of our book. Because if you're trying to get God's favor, then you don't understand that righteousness, true righteousness is understanding that Jesus, because of what he did for us, puts the favor of God on us and it can't be taken away. I don't have to earn it. I already have it. I just have to respond to it. It'd be like two people who are married, right, trying to convince the person that you're already married to to marry them. Will you marry me? I thought we did that like June 20th. I thought that was what we did on that day. We had all our friends there. and Why well, no, but I, I'm, I'm trying to please you. I'd like to marry you again and again and again. Like I, I want to do another ceremony. And that's weird. No, we're, we're married. Like we're good. Like, but see, that's what people do with God. They don't understand how the relationship works. They don't understand a covenant. And that's what Paul goes on to say. Look at what Paul says to the church in Ephesus, just so you know, that Paul is not saying that we're saved by works here. This is the verse that changed my life. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, for you are saved by grace. That means unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You can't get it. You can't make God do what you want him to do by being good enough yourself. Your good works can't outweigh your bad. He says, you are, for you are saved by grace through faith. Remember Paul said earlier, faith to faith, and this is not from yourselves. In other words, even the ability for you to have faith didn't come from you. It came from God himself. Faith itself comes from God putting himself in us so that we can have the faith to walk with him. That's where faith comes from is God's faithfulness, not ours. And he says, you put your faith in God and his faithfulness, and it's not from you. It's a gift of God. You He goes on, he says, it's not from works, because guess what? If it's from works, you'll boast. So will I. Look look at all I've done. Look at how righteous I am. Look how awesome I am. You need to be like me. You, You need to be like us. You need to be. No, he says, this isn't about boasting about yourself and how righteous you are. It's boasting about how gracious God is. Then he goes on, he says, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, if you understand grace, if you understand a relationship with God, then the reason you do the works you do is because you understand that you have been created differently now. You have a different relationship with God in heaven. And now you are a new creation, something different than before. And then it says, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. God so loved you That he's even preparing ahead of you all the time to show you more of himself, to show you more of his grace, and to show you how awesome he is. Wow. Wouldn't you want to have a relationship with someone like that? And then it goes on to say, and Isaiah 1 says this, What are all your sacrifices to me, asks the Lord? I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. Well, then why did you ask people to make sacrifices? They sacrificed maybe billions of animals throughout the Old Testament. It could have been billions. I mean, seriously. Thousands of years of killing animals, like shedding their blood. And he says, what are all your sacrifices to me? I have no desire. Well, then if you had no desire, why did you ask? Here's why. Because God was trying to show us how deadly, awful, and gruesome our sin is. How much more problems do we have to see in our world before we start crying out to God instead of crying out to politics? How much more death and mayhem do we have to see? Were you on your knees this week at all, crying out to God? Or are you just going through the Facebook feed looking for the next political statement you could repost or you could comment on? God is asking for his people to cry out to him on behalf of others. 
He's asking us to live wise lives, not because we want to get something, but because we want to show people how great this God is and how righteous and wonderful and good and loving and caring he is because there's a world that doesn't get any of that because the world is not designed for them to see it. It's deceiving them. So God says, I don't desire these things, but I had to make you do these things because if I didn't, you would never see how deadly your sin is. If you didn't have to kill your pet lamb, you would think everything's hunky-dory and you would just do whatever you wanted and kill people. Maybe if I make you kill animals, you won't kill each other. You'll see what death is like in blood and the screaming of an animal and you'll never want to see a human being have to go through that. That's God's heart there. He says, I don't want sacrifice. I want your heart. Paul goes on, he says, or Hosea says this, prophet Hosea in the Old Testament, this is, this is why I've used the prophets, to cut them down. Now we read that and go, cut them down. Yeah, the prophets are going to kill them. I've killed them with the words of my mouth, not with the sword, I've killed them with the words of my mouth and my judgment strikes like lightning. For I desire loyalty, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But they, like Adam, have violated the covenant and they have betrayed me. In other words, just like Adam, they look around and they go, well, circumstances seem pretty good. Eve took the fruit, she didn't die. So I guess I'll do it too. I won't protect her. I won't cry out to God. I won't go ask God. I won't stop Eve and say, hold on. We're not just going to do what's right because we think it's right. We need to go check in with God and tell the serpent what God says. So let's, let's, go, let's go check and come back. Adam didn't do that. He looked at the circumstances and thought, looks pretty good to me. And we've been doing it ever since. And God is doing nothing but trying to get our attention to see how deadly that mentality is to ourselves, to others, and to his glory. He goes on in Philippians and he says this, more than that, I also consider everything, Paul's writing this, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I just want to know him. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying, I don't want to be that guy that says, I think I'm righteous. I'm good with God because I've done all these things. I want to be that guy that says, I know I'm not righteous. God, you have to save me. You have to come through. I know our world's in trouble. I know my neighbor's in trouble. I know my mom's in trouble. And you've got to come through. He goes on, he says, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That is not a popular statement that you will hear from Christians posted on their social media page today. Paul says, my goal is to know the power of his resurrection. How's the only way to be resurrected? Oh yeah, you gotta be dead. I don't like that option. Is there a plan B? I would like not to die first and then be resurrected. Like I just, just make my life better. No, you have to choose to pick up your cross and follow me. You have to be willing to lay down your life because you realize that this life is fake, that it's false, that, that you say, God, I know this life isn't all there is. There's something more to this. And so I'm, I'm crying out to you. I'm giving you permission to come in and kill the things that don't honor you, that hurt other people, and then bring power and life into me so that I can bring life to others. And then he says, the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, I like the fellowship of like we all come together and we can sit together and we don't have to wear masks and there's no suffering and it's all just hunky-dory and wonderful and we have a big band and lights and smoke and I, that's what I like. Like, I like the fellowship of the ease. That's... That's when I know I'm walking with you and things are just coasting right along. It's like, obviously God's with me because I'm awesome. Paul's like, no, man, my goal is I want to fellowship. I want to feel what he felt. I want to I know what he knew about his heavenly father. And then he says, being conformed to his death. I, I want to give my life for others like he gave his life for me. Whew. Man. And the only way you can do that is through the power of God. You can't do it on your own. You can't earn it. He goes on and says, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already fully mature. This is Paul writing from jail. <laughs> and he's like, I have, I'm still not good enough. I, I, I still haven't reached the goal. 
We're trying to convince people today that, oh, well, you've reached the goal. Have your best life now. Everything's great. Jesus just loves you. You do what you want. And Paul's like, man, I'm not even sure. I just still, I'm just chasing him because I know if I chase him, it, that's the best thing I can do. And he says, not that I've already reached it, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of of Christ Jesus. You know, this week I thought of that, as I read that passage, I thought of Jacob and Esau. And when Jacob was born, it said he grabbed onto the, to the, to the heel of Esau because he so wanted the blessing. He so wanted God. He wanted, he, he was, can you imagine that? Two children being born, you're like pulling on the first kid and the other one's connected being like, he's not coming out without me. That's the heart God wants us to have. That's the part Paul has. He says, brother, I don't, I don't consider that I've taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I reach forward to what is ahead. Can we please do that as a nation? Can you please do that as a person? Can you forget what our forefathers said and forget what they did and ask God, hey God, what do you think about this? Hey God, you know our country started with people rebelling and killing each other pretty much over taxes. True statement, whether you want to believe it or not. Were there other reasons? Absolutely there were other reasons. Does God use stupid? He uses me, so I guarantee you he can use stupid. But it doesn't mean we then champion them as incredible heroes. And like happened this week, someone took scripture and inserted the nation, this nation, in the scriptures as their speech. That's heresy. It's wrong. That should not have been done. Is, he, is that forgivable? Absolutely. I've done heretical, stupid things too. It's forgivable. But we gotta be really careful because if we're not, we're gonna stand before God one day saying, God, look at how right I am. And he's gonna look at you and go, I don't know you. He goes on in Romans 2 and says, all who have sinned without the law also perish without the law. All those who sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be declared righteous. In other words, guess what? None of us are going to go out without being judged because you don't do the law righteously and you don't even hear the law righteously. And that's what Paul's saying. We're all going to be in trouble. We're all going to be judged. None of us can make this work. Romans 2 says, so when the Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively do what the law demands, they are the law unto themselves even though they don't have the law. In other words, Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what good is that? Even the Gentiles do that, right? So it's fine. As long as I have my posse to kill that posse, we're good. But see, you're still declaring a need for people. You're declaring you need someone outside yourself. You're declaring you need community, that there's something more than you. And so that's what Paul's saying. He's saying this is what happens to our lives all the time. Verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, their consciences confirm this. In other words, nobody lives life the way they want to live it. It doesn't work. You can't do it. Try it. Just try it driving today. Drive the way you want to drive. Like, don't ignore the laws. You now get to write the laws in your car, and you ignore everything, and when you need to get from point A to point B, doesn't matter. Red light, green light, yellow light, go. Just go. As fast as you want, swerving as many times as you want. See how long that lasts. See, it doesn't work. So we kind of submit to the law so that we can get what we want, which then declares that we believe there is law, we believe there is a lawgiver, and that we need authority in our life a little bit. And authorities that love to twist things, they'll give you just enough authority to get you right where they want you and then smash you. God says from the beginning, you're all smashed. You're in trouble unless I save you. He's just honest. He's completely honest. And he says, on that day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. So Paul says, on the judgment day, it's not gonna be about works. It's not gonna be, did you do enough good works or bad works? It's gonna be, do you know my son? Do you know the Messiah who is Yahweh who saves? That's according to my gospel. That's the good news. The good news is, if you know the one who brings righteousness, you can be declared righteousness when the judgment comes. He goes on and says, now if you call yourself a Jew and rest in the law, boast in God. <laughs> like, like, if you love the law of God, that's great. 
just don't boast in the law. Don't boast about how righteous you are. Boast about how great God is to give you the law, to protect you, to help you know him, and make him known, not the law known. See, we're terrible at this as Christians. We love to tell people to obey the law, but we don't love to tell them that the reason you should do it is because God loves them. And God loves other people, and he wants you to obey so that you can love him more and love other people. We just say, don't do that because it affects my life, so don't do it. Well, doesn't that put you in the position of God? Don't do that because it affects me, and I'm God, and I need my life the way I want it. He goes on and he says, know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law. In other words, if you read the Old Testament, you'll find out you can't save yourself. You'll find out you're in trouble and it will instruct you that you need a Messiah. That's what the Old Testament's all about. We need a savior and all these temporary sacrifices, it's all temporary. And then he goes on, he says, and if you are convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness. We're in a political season. Everyone is trying to convince us right now that they are a light, a guide to the blind and a light to those in darkness. Everybody's trying to convince us of that right now. I don't believe any of them. Doesn't mean I'm not gonna do my civil duty to vote and and do what I gotta do, but I, I know what God says. He's a guide, he's the light. And he says, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher to the immature, having the full expression of knowledge and the truth of the law, the real truth. Then he says, then you who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Ouch. That hurts. But it's true. Guys, God wants us to walk righteously with him because he knows that there are people that need to see who he is. It's not so we can have a better life and have a better culture and we can save our country and all that's that's Those aren't the underlying reasons. The underlying reason is he says, when you don't live according to the gospel of who Jesus is and what he's done, and you're not making that your motivation for why you're studying, why you're writing that paper, why you're in that relationship, why you're spending your money, when that isn't your motivation and you haven't done that, you are blaspheming God among the people around you. They're they're not gonna believe in your God. Because they look and go, well, I don't think I want I don't know if that's true. It doesn't seem like you lay down your life. A thing happened this week that's just been amazing to me. You know, the Big Ten canceled their football season. Now there's a big lawsuit and everybody wants to bring it back and it's a big disaster. And I said from the beginning, the thing that frustrated me the most was to watch a father tell everyone else's sons they couldn't play, but he didn't tell his own son he couldn't play before he told everybody else's kids not to play. That frustrated me. See, the commissioner of the Big Ten, his son plays in the SEC. He could have looked at his son and said, son, you ain't playing. I believe this is so deadly and so problematic for college students that you are not playing or you're off my insurance, you're off everything. You're done, I'm cutting you loose, I'm I'm finished. Like, I, I have to judge rightly and protect people's lives so you can't play, I'm done. He didn't do that. See, he tried to manipulate instead. Well, if I call it off, then they'll call it off, and then I don't have to confront my son. So I'll tell everybody else's kids not to do it, but not my own. I don't know if the guy knows Jesus or not. I don't know if he knew that's what he was doing. Probably didn't. Probably didn't think through that. But we as believers should know our word and know that's exactly what the Bible says, that God brings judgment to his house first, not everybody else's house. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And we should welcome that. Please, God, show me your goodness. Show me your judgments. Show me who you are so that I can be more of a witness. And I don't blaspheme you, but I tell people about how great you are. That's the heart. James 2 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you faith from my works. You believe that God is one. Well, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. 
you do well. That, that's a good thing that you believe there's a God and you believe Jesus was his son. The demons also believe that, except they shudder. Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? In other words, the demons shudder. You don't even shudder. You say, well, I got Jesus and he just loves me so I can do whatever I want. That should make you shudder because the demons shudder when they do whatever they want knowing judgment's coming on them. Now, does this mean we're saved by works? Nope, it just means that works are the natural outflow. He goes on and says, for circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you're a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if any uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will his uncircumcision not be counted as circumcision? If you insert the word baptism for circumcision in our culture today, Christian culture, it makes a lot more sense. Sure, circumcision benefit, you know, baptism benefits you if you know God and obey him. That's really beneficial to the body of Christ. Because that's what circumcision was. It was the outward symbol of the inward change. And then he goes on, he says, a man who is physically uncircumcised. Oh, therefore, if anyone's uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will uncircumcision not be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised but fulfills the law will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. In other words, Paul says, many of you think you're okay because you've done these religious acts. I'm telling you that there are going to be Gentiles who've not been circumcised but believe that Jesus circumcises the heart, not the outward appearance. They're going to judge you on judgment day. This would have been crazy for Paul to be telling Jewish Christians. They would have been like, are you kidding me? He's like, no, I'm not. This is what the Bible teaches. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. A, for a person is not a Christian who is one outwardly. And true baptism, circumcision, is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew, a Christian, a believer in God, who is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart. The Old Testament says that as well. By the spirit, not the letter of the law. That man's praise is not from men, but from God. In other words, God is looking to pour his praise out on those of us who have surrendered hearts. So what advantage does the Jew have? Or what, or what is the benefit of circumcision? In other words, then why obey the law? It's considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the spoken words of God. What then? If someone did not believe, will their unbelief cancel God's faithfulness? Absolutely not, Paul says. God must be true, even if everyone is a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. So Paul's writing and he's saying, what then? If, he's saying, look, it's not about works. It's about your heart. And you say, but I did. I got circumcised. I got baptized. Great. Did it change? Was your heart changed? Or did you say, well, if I get baptized, God will be happy with me. My mom will be happy with me. My dad, everybody will be happy with me if I do this act. Or did you do it by faith? God, I just want to declare you're right, and so I'm going to do it. And he goes on, he says, but if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I use a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. That's a big argument today. Why does God let evil and things happen in the world? Because he's God and there's no other way to get our attention. And the world was cursed thousands, maybe millions of years ago, depending on what you believe, and we're living in the middle of it until God breaks the curse. That's why there's wrath. That's why there's problems. And then he says, absolutely not. Otherwise, how would God judge the world? But if by my life God's truth is amplified to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim, we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come. In other words, Paul's saying, you're only saved by grace. And because we preach that gospel about Jesus, people are going around saying, well, you can't trust them because they think you can just do whatever you want and God will forgive you. And Paul's like, absolutely not. That's a slanderous claim. Their condemnation is deserved if they want to disobey. He goes on, he says, what then? Are we any better? Not at all, for we have previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. We're under a curse. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So Paul has spent all this time unpacking all this, trying to, to go after their arguments, and he gets to this and he says, none of you are righteous. No one, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Now, if Paul stopped there and said, have a nice day, Romans, that would be really depressing. 
But he doesn't stop there. He goes on. He says, their throat's an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Welcome to America 2020. Right there. That's what we're living in. He goes on and he says this. Now we know that whatever the law speaks says that those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. In other words, the purpose of the law was to show us our desperate need for a savior, for a Messiah, for him to come. All those laws of the Old Testament, all the stories, all the problems, all the mess was to get us to say we're just like them, we're all in trouble, God save us. That's the point of the book. No other religion on the face of the planet has that message. Let me say that again. No other system of belief or religion on the face of the planet has that message. If this isn't true, please dismiss Christianity first of all the religions you're looking at and go chase the other ones. Because Christianity is the weirdest message on the face of the planet. It's either true or it's crazy. There's no in-between. And if it's that crazy, it should make it look like we're crazy when we believe it. He goes on and he says as he wraps up, but now apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets, that God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, see that? The righteousness comes through faith to all who believe since there is no distinction. There's no distinction, we're all in trouble. We all have to come to God by faith and he makes us right, we don't make ourselves right. We go, God, I am not right. I am trusting in you to make me right. And I don't know that I'm really gonna feel totally right until I'm with you forever in heaven. And I recognize that's the truth and I believe it by faith and I trust you that you promise to keep your covenants and that I'll be with you forever. And I wanna act now in my works and I wanna know your law and do your law because I just love you. And I wanna show people how great it is to be under the umbrella of your love and care goes on, he says, to all who believe, since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. You, me, the Pope, Paul, everybody. As we wrap up, he says this. We all fall short of God's glory, but look at what Paul says. In the midst of this like depressing moment, oh my goodness, he says, however, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption. That is, he bought you back. That is in Christ Jesus. He purchased you. He went after you. He, do you realize that this week there were almost 200 children delivered from sex slavery in two cities in our country this week? 200 kids being used, being abused, that were redeemed by force. So you don't redeem people unless there's a war, there's death. Because see, sex traffickers don't want to give up their goods, their, their con the control they have. And so the authorities had to come in to take them, to fight them. These, these children being used, and he says, that's what Jesus did for us. He bought us out of slavery. He purchased us. We deserve to be there. These kids didn't deserve it, but boy, if we look at our choices, we're pretty sure we did. He goes on and he says, look at this. God presented him as a propitiation, that means a substitute, through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God says, remember Passover in the Old Testament? That's Jesus. That was a little image of what Jesus would really do when he fully passes over all of our sins. And he says, God presented him, that's Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, do you have faith in Jesus? Are you trying to be righteous on your own? Are you trying to do all the right things and keep all the plates spinning or 
Have you surrendered yourself to say, God, I just have to cry out to you to make me right. I need to cry out to you for, to make the things in the world right. And I need to find joy in doing that. That there's joy in knowing who you are and knowing that, that I'm a witness to others. And like, you are the only way that we're going to get to what is right. There's no other way. If you don't know him, the Bible says you are not right with God. You will face judgment. God says, I don't want that for you. I want to take that judgment. That's why Christ, the Old Testament said Christ would come. The New Testament said Christ came. And now all of human history, all of the people of the Bible look and say, yes, he's coming again. To make everything right. And that is a weird message. But it's our message that we have to take in our workplaces and in our dorms and into those relationships. And we have to step out in faith to do that. See, if you don't know him, man, I pray you would. I pray you'd surrender to really want to know him. And if you do know him, let me ask you this. How are you doing in going to God and asking him for his rightness, his righteousness? And why aren't you? See, there are some of you in this room that won't go to God and ask for his rightness because you feel so dirty, so awful, so horrible, so used, so abused, so uncared for that you think that God's going to look at you and say, I can't stand you. And that is a lie. He gave his son for you. It's a lie. Don't believe the lie. Go to him and say, I know that you love me and I can come dirty and filthy and you will clean me just like an infant comes dirty and filthy and you feed and clean them. Don't believe that lie. And for those of you who may be sitting in pride as a Christian thinking, well, I'm good and I'm righteous, go back and read this and check your heart. Because maybe God's wanting you to see some things that aren't right that you need to deal with. Maybe you need to start looking deep, more deeply at and thanking him for how he's made you right, not for thinking you're right, but saying, God, I know how right you are, and I know that I'm walking with you, and you're in me, and so, man, I'm, I'm glad that relationship is there. Guys, this is a weird way to look at the world, because this is not the world what the world teaches, and it's why Paul starts off his book this way. And if you want to know what's right, let me ask you this. Why aren't you reading his word? Why aren't you in it? I know it can be confusing. I know there's a lot of work there. God's a big God. But you know what? There's a lot that isn't confusing. And the more you read it, guess what? The more you practice and the more you get to know, the more, the, the more things you start to see. It's amazing how that works. It's called practice. It's like, you know, giving a ball to a five-year-old saying, shoot a shot. Oh, you can't hit the goal. You're an idiot. Get out of the gym. And that's how we treat the Bible. Versus, let me help you. Let me lift you up. Let me get a ladder. Let's put it in. Oh, look, you made it. And I put you in the goal with the ball. Like I pulled your feet through. Look what I did. Aren't you awesome? I made it. You know, no, he really didn't. <laughs> you did. And then you continue to practice and practice and practice till you get it right. See, that's what God does for us. That's what he wants to do for you. And that's what he wants to do for your family, for your neighbor, but we have to surrender to his righteousness, not our version. And not listen to the world and cling to what seems right, but to really go to the word and say, wow, there's a right here that isn't on either side of the political aisle. It's like more in the middle than either way, and that's really messy. Yep, it is. And you're probably not going to win too many people's favor by being there. Because they get mad when they can't get you to their version of right. And when someone can't be right, the only thing they have left to use is force to force you to be right, which is why God's coming back someday. Guys, find hope in this message. That if you know Jesus, he says you are righteous. He loves you. He's given his son. And he's given you his word to, to know what's right. It's beautiful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. The folks that are here. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for this book. We, we give you praise and glory and honor to your name because it is the Messiah, Christ, Yahweh who saves, Jesus, 
who is Lord, who is, who is the ultimate God, who is the great I am. Father, I thank you for this message. I pray that we would be bearers of the full message of the gospel, not just the parts we like, but the full message of what it looks like to be your people, to walk with you in a foreign land. I thank you for this body. I thank you for these people. I thank you for their willingness to to walk through the turmoil of this life and to make you known, to get up each day and to say, okay, today I'm gonna trust him. And Lord, I pray that you would show them how much they're loved and cared for and how much you, 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 you've made them right before you so that they can get up from that moment and obey you out of a, out of a place of joy, not a place of, of guilt. And for those people who might be tuning in or are here who don't know you, Father, I pray that they would see that there is a judgment coming. And you want to pass over the previous sins committed. You, you want to forgive but it requires them surrendering to you, not to themselves. It requires them giving up their life to say, I want you to be my life, and then to begin the process of what that does through our our entire lifetime. So I pray that they would ask you to come into their hearts, that they would commit to you this morning, and that they would allow you to come in and make them right and then change them to do what's right, which is called sanctification in this world. We thank you and we praise you. 